This is the Marketing Umbrella Podcast, where it's all about getting the information you need from successful leading marketers to build and grow your digital marketing agency. Brought to you by Inamur Shafir, founder and CEO of Umbrella, the technology platform and brand that is powering thousands of marketing agencies around the country. Find him at UmbrellaUS.com. And now, here's your host, Inamar Shafir. Welcome to the Marketing Umbrella Podcast, where we talk with successful marketing experts about ways to build and grow a digital marketing agency. My guest today is an authority on helping innovative businesses digitally transform their sales and marketing. He teaches at Rod- Rodgers Business School and the Irish Management Institute. He is a thought-after international speaker, fluent in Japanese and Mandarin Chinese. I'm going to ask you how. He is an author of Maximize Your Social and the Age of Influence and the host of the podcast, Maximize Your Social Influence. He is also the founder of digital marketing consultancy, PDCA Social. I'm excited to say hello to Mr. Neil Schaefer. Hi, Neil. Hey, how's it going? I'm awesome, and I'm excited to have you on. Um, I have to tell you that through all the podcasts that we had, and I have talked with people that are in content marketing and social marketing, I don't think we had somebody who is so entrenched in influencer marketing as you are, and also other facets of things that you do that I think are going to be super interesting for our listeners. But before we jump into that, maybe you can give us a little bit of a background how you got into marketing and everything that you're doing today. Sure. Well, my background before social media uh, was B2B sales, biz dev, marketing in Asia, which is why I, I speak Japanese and Chinese. And it was really when I came back to the United States and I was in transition for the first time that I found out about the site called LinkedIn. I became heavily involved in it. And because I have this like sales background or sales mindset, I realized it was a very, very powerful tool that most people didn't see it as. So that really launched this journey where I began as a blogger back in 2008. And then I wrote my first book on LinkedIn in 2009. I then wrote my first business book in 2011. And then I realized that the businesses out there needed help with their marketing, not just LinkedIn, but every social media platform. So that's where I really got heavily into social media strategy consulting. I wrote a book about it called Maximize Your Social. And ever since then, I've been you know, speaking, consulting, uh, teaching, uh, really everything about social media marketing, really accumulating with the publication of The Age of Influence. I felt that influencer marketing, which the book is about, is this niche that most companies are extremely undervaluing in social media. And then with COVID, I realized that every business is really undervaluing digital marketing in general. So I've sort of gone from being the, the social media marketing consultancy to a digital marketing consultancy, but looking at it with fresh eyes, actually looking at it from a social media perspective. So um, uh, yeah, that yeah. gives you, sorry, just got a notification on my Definitely. computer there, but that, that gives you a nutshell of sort of who I am and where I've come from and, and where I am today. Okay, cool. So before we also jump into talking about influencers and social marketing, I want to talk about the structure. I also know you had an agency and you transitioned into CMOing or fractional CMOing. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about it? Because I'm not sure all agencies know the difference between a fractional CMO and an agency. Yeah, so like every agency owner out there, I'm a hustler. Uh, This is not an industry that I look for. It's an industry that found me. So Imagine I was in between jobs. I launched a blog. I found a job. And then we had the Lehman Brothers crash. This is back in 2008. Only lasted three and a half months. And my wife's like, you should consider writing a book. And so I wrote the book. And immediately I started getting asked to speak at places. Like, "Will will you buy some copies of my book? And then I'll speak. 
And then it was really in January, 2010, where I had four different companies in completely different industries here in Southern California, reach out to me, say, Neil, we want your help. We don't know what we don't know. Will you, will you help us? And I did not have an agency background at the time. So I thought to myself, well, what companies need is they need strategy and they need education. And mm -hmm. then they can do it on their own or reach out to an agency. So that's where I really started as a consultant. And along the lines of being a consultant back in 2016 or 17, there was one particular client who said, Neil, we want to implement what you're doing, but we don't have the resources to do it. Can you work with us as an agency? So that's when I launched my own agency. Mm -hmm. um, and I did it for two or three years, but I really found joy. I didn't want to build up this big agency. I really wanted to help on the strategic level as a consultant uh, from a lifestyle perspective and everything else. So what happened though, was right before COVID, uh, there's one company I work with here locally in Southern California. I speak Japanese, so I work with a lot of Japanese companies. They said, Neil, the CEO wanted me at their office working together with their staff. And I said, okay, let's, let me create a business model around that. So half day every week I was at their office. And when COVID started, all that became remote, but I got a lot of other companies reaching out to me asking for help. So mm -hmm. I basically said, okay, this is the model. It's an hours-based consulting model. I called it fractional CMO because that is something that it, it's the closest thing to it, which means that I am a marketing leader and I'm being hired for strategy, sometimes for implementation by all sorts of companies, but it's based on almost like an, I'm an employee. So it's not like a project, yeah. right? And they are dictating how they want me to spend their time as if I was an employee and I'm interacting with their other employees as an employee as well. So that's where, you know, I, I sort of adopted that term, which I think is the closest to it. And this is something I've done really since COVID. It's become my main business driver. I, I really love to do it. I work with lots of different companies. It's, it's mainly remote now, as you can imagine. So it frees yeah. me up to work with companies globally. And it's, you know, it, it, it's on a retainer basis like an agency, um, you know, three months, six months, 12 months, even, even more. I have some clients I've worked with for years, but it's limited by hours, which I really like. If you're a smart agency, you price yourself so that you spend the minimum hours, you get the maximum sales, obviously. Um, for me, as I get bigger demand for my services, I just keep on raising my price more and more and more. And that's how I make, you know, that, that's how you accelerate revenue generation yep. as a fractional CMO. Um, but it's, you know, I also do speaking. I'm also trying to create my own digital products and services. I have some affiliate marketing, some influencer marketing. So I have some other stuff going on, <laughs> but hopefully, you know, I think uh, when I tell people about being a fractional CMO, a lot of consultants say, I want to do what you do. That, that sounds great. And, and it, I've had a lot of people have a lot of interest in it. And I've had agencies reach out to me as well saying, we want to sell our services, but our clients don't understand the value of our services, like a content marketing agency, right? Yeah. They, they, but they don't understand the ROI of it. They don't understand how it fits in everything else. And that's why they want to, they want to bring me in so that I can help fit everything together and really help the, the client get the value, but also help the agency sell more. So that's where fractional CMOs work vis-a-vis -vis agencies. Got it, got it. It makes complete sense. So you would say, okay, yeah. So it, you would need high expertise. It's more about the strategic planning. It's more about knowing what to do. And then you bring in whatever implementers and fulfillers that you need to make the job, to, to make sure it's done or just leave it for the company to do it. Yeah, it's, it's really about, because I don't have an agency background. I'm like, you should just do it yourself. Right. Um, so it's really, honestly, it's a lot of it is working with their employees to do it. Mm -hmm. If they have an agency, it's also working together with their agency. So it can be either way, but yeah, or it helping them hire people or find resources is, is another thing that often comes about. Okay, cool. So let's jump into talking about influencers. You wrote a book, the age of influence, uh, and it's kind of a guide to influencer marketing. 
for the people who don't know, I'm sure everybody knows, but maybe you can encapsulate in 30 seconds. What is influencer marketing? Influencer marketing is one of the most misunderstood terms out there, but easily, easy way to define it is you as a business are tapping into other entities that have influence for, to increase your business or whatever objective you may have. So before the internet, the influencers were true celebrities that you'd see on TV. If they pushed a product, it mm -hmm. would sell. Well, today, depending on the generation, those influencers are people that we've never heard of, but our kids are watching on TikTok or their YouTube videos that people find. Now they're being influenced by YouTubers. They might be influenced by someone on LinkedIn. It might be a blog that they found in a Google search. So yep. there's a lot of people that are influencing a lot of other people out there that just this did not exist until really 10, 20 years ago. So that is what influence marketing is. And it's not just about Instagrammers or TikTokers. It's, it's in B2B, it's on LinkedIn, it's really everywhere, but it's that concept. And I think if you realize how social media has become pay to play, you know, if you can find influencers in your niche talking about things that are important to you or your client, you can see how that can help you get seen and heard through the algorithm. So I think with, uh, with, as a way to augment organic social media, I would always recommend, in fact, if you could replace your social media completely with user-generated content of influencers talking about your product, that is really the, the ideal thing to look at. So it's not just content amplification, it's also content creation of collaborating to create content that you can use in your advertising, on, on your website, right? In the shopping cart, uh, and obviously in your social media. So it takes on a bigger value once you see um, what they are. And once you realize how organic social media is uh, you can spend a lot of time and get very few results from it. You can see how impactful it can be as well for your marketing. Amazing. So let's, you know, I, 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 I dug into it a little bit from a, a MarTech perspective. Uh, I used to uh, work with, uh, with a company called Hyper. Um, uh -huh. Yeah. It was really and, company as well. I've, yeah. Yeah. So, so I remember I, I was talking uh, with, with the CEO there and he kind of, he gave me a rundown of influencer marketing today. And when I'm saying today, it's at least two years ago and things change very fast. It's no longer just, you know, that person with 50 million followers. It could be 50 people with, you know, 10 or 50,000 followers. What, what he called micro influencers. Is that still the thing? Is that still going on? Yeah, well, now it's gone even smaller. They call them nano-influencers, people with between one to 10,000 followers. But the whole idea is, look, if you're in marketing, you get that. Like a decade ago, we were talking about mommy bloggers, right? Yeah. Like if you wanted, like those were the influencers. And over time, what happened is that, well, we had Twitter, we had Google+, we had Facebook, but then we had Instagram. And Instagram is really where influencer marketing took off. And it's where platforms like Hyper from a marketing technology perspective, there's still a bunch of these platforms out there that will help you find influencers in your niche that are in a specific demographic with a specific number of followers. Because mm -hmm. it's really, really hard to do by yourself. So that's where the technology fits in. But what's happened is that, you know, people have gotten a lot more followers. And are these like real followers? Are they fake followers? Um, maybe someone started with one niche and then they went to another niche. So if we were to work with this person who has a million followers, is it really going to be relevant when they talk about all these different things? Or should we work with someone maybe with a smaller number of followers, but there's more authenticity, there's more nicheness. Um, and the fact that they haven't bought a million followers means that they're real followers as well. So there's a lot of pluses of working and it's cheaper because 
influencers have tend to price themselves out of the market as they've gotten more followers. So yeah. there's a lot of you know reasons. And I think with COVID, where we really crave authenticity and, and the rawness and reality of things, it's even pushed the trend even more to work with smaller and smaller influencers for those reasons. Okay, cool. So, and for a, a small budget business, you know, most of the listeners here are working with small businesses. Would, would influencer marketing work on a small budget and, and how small? Absolutely. So one of the great influencer strategies is gifting product. So there's this misconception that influencers just, that all they're out there is for money. They don't want to work for free. Well, there are, when you get to the nano level, right? If you find people that are really passionate about something, they will work for product. What I mean by this is I'll give you an example. Uh, I have this mastermind called Digital First. One of our members is the creator of handlebars for bicycles that are made out of bamboo. Mm -hmm. Okay. Nice. They're painted like gold orange. They're beautiful. And, and the idea about bamboo is obviously sustainable, but it gives a much smoother ride than normal handlebars. It, it is like a world of difference from what I hear. His marketing was purely reaching out to people that all they talk about is bicycling, whether it's on YouTube, on Instagram, blogs. And now this is a $200 product. So it works a little bit better. But he was basically able to, to give out enough of these and get enough word of mouth. That has been his marketing. He hasn't had to do advertising. It's purely been through word of mouth of leveraging influencers through influencer gifting. So I, I live in Orange County. One of my friends, she is a dentist who works on, uh, you know, like, like, you know, it could be like Zoom whitening or it could be like uh, creating fake teeth to make your smile look beautiful. She yeah. will often work with influencers locally, you know, local influencers, um, and, and give that service away. It might be a few thousand dollars, but she knows that she's going to get, you know, a testimonial that the influencer will push on her platform. So if the product is too cheap, it's hard to do. But if you have like a $50, $200 product and you find the right people, they will, you know, not everyone's going to, you know, uh, agree to do it, but a lot of them will talk about it on social if they genuinely like your product. And that's yeah. really the direction. If, if you're just starting out, give it away. Instead of giving money to Zuckerberg or, you know, uh, invest in people is really the message here. And as a, you know, agency, what's really interesting is that, you know, influencer marketing, some people love it. Some people will sort of cringe about it, but it is a buzzworthy topic that if you, the next time you go to a client say, Hey, next month, instead of $500 in Facebook ads, let me, you know, let me try to uh, reach out to five influencers and get them to talk about our brand. Um, and let me just have free product and just pay for the time of actually reaching out to these people, which could be very lucrative, obviously. So that's, that's one way of thinking about it for your client um, in terms of you know, influencer gifting as a way to start. And when we turn to B2B, do we, can we still keep it micro or does it automatically become more expensive? This podcast is brought to you by Umbrella. Have an agency? Check out UmbrellaUS.com to grow it today. No, it really depends. I mean, I have companies reach out to me all the time, like B2B marketing technology companies, right? And they'll just give me access to the tool. Um, that's, and it's really smart. The ones that say, we'll give you a free 30-day trial are the ones that, you know, I'm not going to invest time in. Yeah. So it, it just, and it could be a 12-month. I mean, we're talking about like SaaS, right? But mm -hmm. yes, it, it, it absolutely can work. And, it, you know, it's not about number of followers. It's about if they were going to talk about your company and product service, do they have an audience that's listening to it? The way you find it out is the content they publish. Right. But th this guy, Mike, was able to find people just talking about bicycles. And you could see on the Instagram feed, the YouTube, the blog. Well, if you're just talking about like AI, 
then it should be very clear that's all you talk about on social on your blog those are the people it doesn't matter how many followers they have you know if they are a content creator at least they're going to get the word out about you to a relevant audience and they might have better seo than you right uh, yeah. better better you know edge rank or whatever algorithm you want to choose in social media so but the Absolutely. best thing is you get content you get people talking about you and you can reuse that user generated content for your own content marketing or social media, what have you. So there's just so many benefits to doing it. It just takes a completely different mindset. It takes a mindset of collaboration uh, with content creators. And there's so many people out there talking about so many things. I challenge any business that's listening, you know, I bet you, you can find people for your clients. And I know that a lot of you might have clients that are very local. Look for the, look for the local people that are talking a lot, right? Um, that are on social media, maybe next door, maybe Facebook groups, but they're out there. So let's talk about maybe some tools they can use. Do you have any recommendations? You know, it's funny. I often get asked about tools. Influencer marketing is really tricky. There are tools that can help you find sort of, you know, like the hyper type of tool, right? Mm -hmm. Number of followers, what have you. Um, there's some interesting tools. BuzzSumo is a tool that if you put in a keyword, you can find obviously, you know, popular topics around it. You have SEO tools if you are looking for, you know, domain authority or yeah. backlinks. Um, these are common tools you could use. There is a very, very interesting tool called Spark Toro. It was actually created by the founder of Moz, Rand Fishkin. And mm -hmm. it's a tool that can help you discover similar audiences um, that you can try to target. You know, I don't think there's any one-all tool for influencer marketing. It, it comes down to using a collection of tools. It could be a social listening tool. You know, who's talking about, you know, what subject. Um, but a lot of it is just doing searches on Google, you know, on Instagram, on YouTube, on LinkedIn, because if you can't find these people, then they probably don't have that big of a community because others can't find them as well, right? Yeah. Or, or podcasts. So I, I think just pure, you know, intuitive searching on these platforms for those keywords can go a long way. Okay, cool. So um, moving from using influencers and selling them to potentially selling these types of services to clients or helping them with that, let's talk about building, you know, for the listeners, for myself, building our brand on social network. So if I'm a small agency owner, should I be doubling down on Facebook? Should I be doubling down on LinkedIn? And if it's, and, and in what way would you suggest I do that with the minimum amount of effort? Because we all know content marketing, especially for people that are not versed in it, can take a long time to produce. And that's the daunting thing that a lot of people shy away from. And then they don't take the time to build up their social brand. Yeah. So, you know, I think that social media comes down to, I've always said it's the convergence of information and communication. So the information part is you have to publish content on a regular basis. That's like the hamster wheel that everyone wants to avoid, right? Yeah. Total time suck. I get it. The communication can be a time suck as well. I think it really comes down to, you know, where is your target audience and hanging out where they're hanging out? Like Facebook groups can be extremely valuable. You know, pick five, 10, 20 groups, go in 15 minutes a day, you know, rotate through them, look for conversations, look for, you know, ways to engage. That might be the most time efficient way of using social media, actually. Um, mm. More than LinkedIn groups, I think. Uh, or it could be, you know, um, local companies that you want to work with and uh, always engaging with their content, right? Whether it's on LinkedIn, whether it's on Instagram, wherever it is. For me, the content creation, if you're going to share content on social media, that content is going to disappear in 24 hours. So really, you should be sharing content that you created on something that lasts forever like a blog, a YouTube video, or a podcast. So that would be my advice is really to, to, you know, you don't have to start all of them, pick a channel, but if you want to be found from an inbound perspective, that's going to give you the best chance of being found. 
And things like podcasting, what we're doing now, gives you a chance to network. Yeah. Not, not just with other like industry people, but with your target customer. You could, you know, the, the top 50 businesses in Orange County, I could reach out to all their CEOs saying, hey, I'm creating a podcast around business in Orange County. And you're one of the top 50, you know, but you're also obviously trying to sell to that person as well. So um, podcasting is great. YouTube is still great. It, you want to focus more on the how-to. Um, but And then blog is great as well. The problem with blog is there's no boundaries. So you may be focusing on a, on, on a local area, but you're going to get, um, you know, hits from all over the world. But on the other hand, if you have a niche like, you know, chiropractor marketing, um, blogs can be a great way to get found, assuming that you create content around that niche. So I sort of, you know, downplay social media. I think it's really about first party data. It's getting people on your website, getting people on your list. And for that reason, the YouTube, the podcast, the, you know, the, the, the content for me is more important than the social media right now. For social media, the influencers would be the most important tactic that I would use. Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect answer. So uh, there is something that is bothering me about content on social lately. And that's because I have two young girls. Mm -hmm. And from time to time, I see what they see on TikTok. And I'm like, are they going to grow up with ADD? And is this the type of content that everybody below 25 is looking for? Really short, not immersive, you know, kind of content, especially images and videos. Are, are this where we're going with all the networks or is it just in TikTok? Yeah, that's, and, and I know a lot of companies look at that and they're like, well, how the heck do I create content like that? And I think we had the same thing with Snapchat several years ago. We had the same thing with Instagram. And at the beginning, companies were basically leveraging influencers to, you know, account takeovers, what have you. So, you know, my advice for TikTok, if you're trying to figure out is that would be a great strategy, but, you know, short form video is clearly here to stay. YouTube has invested in YouTube shorts. You have Google web stories, you have uh, Facebook um, you know, reels, Instagram reels, you even have Pinterest idea pins for those of you that pin. So it, it is, you know, when I look at, I have a 16 year old daughter and a 14 year old son, whether it's TikToks or Instagram reels, that is their TV. They tune into that. Like we tuned into TV growing up five minutes here, 15 minutes there. It's a new way of communicating. It's a mainstream way of communicating, but it's very entertaining. So it's a, it's a really, really hard playing field for companies to, uh, to get, coverage on unless you're extremely creative and there's an entertaining aspect you can bring to your product. Um, so yeah, short form video is the best way to get seen on social media. It's the algorithms are going to push it. You're going to get the most visibility. You'll get visibility beyond your followers. It's a great way to make a splash. It's also really, really hard for those reasons. So yeah. um, should you go all in? Well, if you're B2C and, you're, and your target audience are high schoolers and, and college students and teenagers, then it makes sense to have a TikTok and Instagram strategy, right? But if not, you know, I, I'm still on the fences about TikTok. Now, Instagram, I mean, Facebook started with just college students. Now it's an old person's network, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And TikTok will change over time as Instagram has changed over time. Now it's like an older on. Now my kids, like, they don't want to go on Instagram. They want a Snapchat account, interestingly enough. So these things do change. With TikTok, unless you're really targeting that demographic, yeah, yes, you can get massive visibility. I just don't know the business ROI. So I would hold off for a little bit longer. But if you're curious, TikTok is the first social network that has a TikTok-sponsored influencer marketplace. So I do have a client that has worked with influencers directly on TikTok, hmm. and it's like $100, $200 in influence. It's not a lot of money. So if you wanted to sort of, you know, dip your feet in the water, um, that would be my recommendation there. Excellent advice. So going, going a step further, 
do you think because they're used to short content, short form content, the follow-up buying cycle or funnel needs to be very quick and snappy? Or is there a moment where they can be more, take their time, read through, watch something longer, if we want to sell them something that is a thousand dollars and not five bucks? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because on the one hand, you have the short form video. On the other hand, this is also the generation that has made YouTube gone mainstream as well. These are kids watching gaming videos that'll last for an hour, right? You're correct. So I, yeah. I, I do believe the attention is there. I believe that TikTok is the entertainment, YouTube is the how-to. And I do believe this is also a generation that leverages the internet to do research on things before they buy. More I than love any the way you define it. Yeah. Yeah, they, they know how to find it. They'll look at the reviews. They'll look for social proof. If an influencer talked about the product, that, that's a new type of social proof. But I don't believe you need to have like a snappy, you know, thing uh, to, to catch their attention. I do believe that they are, um, they will become a very, very savvy uh, generation of consumers. You just helped me not only as a marketer, but also as a parent a little bit. <laughs> I feel a, li a, a little bit, yeah, as, as I'm hearing you talking, I'm saying, yes, she does watch, they do watch long YouTubes. They actually use YouTube like we use TV. And you said uh, YouTube is the how-to. Very smart. I, I appreciate that insight. Um, yeah, and YouTube used to be the how-to and the entertainment. So you have people like Mr. Beast, you know, who created this Squid Game TV show that you know got amazing popular. You still do have an entertainment aspect to YouTube, like TV, but TikTok has clearly sapped the entertainment value out of YouTube. I mean, that's yeah. it's just so immediate, and you just scroll through, and everything is short and sweet. So um, I, I think that that has become the preferred entertainment channel. Okay. Do you have, can you look into your magic ball and tell us how social is going to look like five years from now? Do you have any, any thoughts about that? Man, I get asked this question a lot and, and I will tell all the marketers who ask me, are you, are you doing everything you can on TikTok today? Are you doing everything you can on Pinterest today? Are you on? You're copying out. You're copying right? out. So I don't, you know, I don't worry about the future. I think, I mean, you know, video is here. It's today. And you really need to have, uh, uh, you know, you need to be able to repurpose content and be able to have video for almost any platform you're on. I think that's the central thing that is only going to accelerate over time. Um, you know, link-based posts, the, the amount of traffic being generated from social media sites will continue to decrease. So I think looking at social media as, as a web traffic generation uh, vehicle is, is only going to get harder and harder over time as it has over the last five years. So I think that social media gets back to being like the billboard. When I look at like the TikTok, there's no immediate ROI, but there was never an immediate ROI of a TV ad or a billboard. But right. you see it so often, right? You go to that product, you get brand awareness, what have you. So I think social media really comes back to that brand awareness, but within social media, there's people, there's communities. And that's where I think you can go deeper, right? You use LinkedIn more for, you know, for one-to-one -one lead generation or those Facebook groups for one-to-one -one lead generation. So I think you have these two extremes, right? The brand awareness side and the one-to-one -one hyper targeting. Mm -hmm. and, you know, social media is still a great way. It, it, it's a marketplace to develop relationships with, right? And but it takes a one-to-one -one approach rather than one-to-many. And I think that more marketers need to become more like salespeople. More salespeople need to become more like marketers. And that's that's my advice for the next five years. Love it. And just to add one more thing to that, you know, quickly, do you think augmented is going to happen in the next five years? Is that going to be a thing? Um, you know, looking at my 14 year old son and how much he's already talking about NFTs and daddy, you should invest in NFTs, you know, as an investment vehicle, 
I think these things are obviously emerging and brands are, are aggressively trying to take part in them. Um, you know, we had Second Life, right? Yeah. Which is the closest thing. Um, you know, with COVID, I think COVID has really skewed things because it's made the virtual reality in many ways. And it, emer you know, it helped things like Clubhouse, you know, emerge and then crash and burn. So I do think that once we're out of COVID, when we look at the five-year time span, we are going to thrive on the real life experiences. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I, I do think that there is going to be a, um, there's always going to be a sector. You know, I, I talked to a guy on a podcast who is the CMO for like an NFT agency, and they work with celebrities and brands to help them develop NFTs. I'm like, well, who's buying NFTs? Is it just people with Bitcoin? He goes, yes, it's just people with Bitcoin. So you have a whole new economy of people with Bitcoin, but no place to spend it, but they bought Bitcoin to invest. So it's an extension of that. Yeah. So it's not really mainstream yet, right? I know like in my uh, local town of Los Angeles, crypto.com bought out the place where the Los Angeles Lakers play. It's called, you know, the crypto.com arena now. It is becoming more and more mainstream, but I don't think vis-a-vis -vis social media, I don't think we're going to get there yet in five years. Um, 10, 20 okay. years maybe, but I think life is going to look different once we're done with COVID. It, 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 COVID will have changed things in many ways, but I think in many ways, a lot of the old stuff will come back. Uh, I'm so looking forward to seeing what's going to happen after COVID. Uh, really looking forward to it. It seems like it's going to happen soon. So for the finale, we have uh, a section called Rapid q and I'm going to ask you a bunch of uh, quick questions. I need quick answers. The questions are in no way edgy, but if you feel uncomfortable with any of them, just say pass. Go for it. Okay. Game on. Uh, they're not edgy. Did you get along with your parents growing up? Yes. Do you have siblings? Yes. Do you have a pet? Right now, no. How old were you when your first kid was born? Uh, I was, let me do the math. <laughs> <laughs> I was 38. When do you wake up? Uh, these days I wake up at 5.45. Hold on. You said you were 38? Yep. When your first kid was born? Correct. And your youngest, you, you, your oldest is four, 16? Correct. You just, got, you just calculated my age. No, but you're, you look much younger. Oh, thank you. I have you. to tell you. Yeah, really. Much younger. I, I, pegged you, I pegged you as an early 40. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. So... Um, no, yeah, it, it's a good thing. Um, when do you wake up? 5.45. When do you go to bed? Uh, man, it really varies, but let's just say the average is 11 o'clock. Ideal vacation? On the beach in Bora Bora. Are you a man of faith? Not really. Okay. Excellent, Neil. That was amazing. Thank you for oh, your is that it that i told you it's not the only thing that is semi-edgy is the faith question right the faith question was semi-edgy yeah no, a little bit i i grew you know i grew up um I, I am jewish yeah um i'm just not that religious um i do try to practice the traditions and you know what have you but uh yeah i'm, I'm not a very religious person no, by the way, you notice that I asked about faith and not 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 religion. So some people answer, "Look, I'm spiritual. I believe in something that is bigger than me, but yeah. I am not practicing a specific religion." That would Fair have been enough. my perfect answer right there. Okay. <laughs>
Uh, and, and one person told me he's just not a not a believer. We are what we are, and that's it. Uh, but uh, but but all is good. Uh, so you were wonderful, guys. Check out Neil's website at neilshafer.com. And uh, Neil, uh, a few words about your book, The Age of Influence. Anybody that wants to get more into influencer marketing should should take that, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote The Age of Influence really to educate marketers on just what exactly influencer marketing is, just a different way of looking at it as I've been describing it, but also, you know, lots of case studies and lots of advice for how to build your own influencer marketing strategy, how to measure influencer marketing ROI, how you can become or your business can become more influential as well. So if you want to tap more into that, I do think it is a service that every digital marketing agency should offer at a minimum. It's a great, if you're looking for something, to, you know, a new idea to bring up with a client, um, it should get some interesting conversation going. And, and really, I wrote the book so that the industry can grow, so that more agencies can, you know, sell more services and more companies like Hyper can sell more as well. So hopefully it, it will serve you all well. I agree 100%. It's a must uh, going into influencers today. So thank you, Neil, very much. And I'm so happy you've been with us. Thank you for being on the show. Uh, thank you. It's been an honor. Thank you for tuning into another episode of the Marketing Umbrella Podcast, where we provide the information you need from successful leading marketers to build and grow your digital marketing agency. Your host has been Inamar Shafir, founder and CEO of Umbrella, the technology platform and brand that is powering thousands of marketing agencies around the country. Find him at UmbrellaUS.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.